0: Welcome to the GeoOwl podcast. The new era of intelligence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second episode of the Geo Owl podcast, where we, ha- we host engaged conversations designed to advance the effectiveness of intelligence operations through technology, innovation, and application. With me today is the host, Nick Smith, the founder and CEO of Geo Owl. Nick, welcome back to Signal Fire Studios.
1: Matt, great to be here again. I feel like it's been a lifetime. <laughs>
0: it has been a lifetime. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I spent the last week going to bed at night. I wasn't thinking about you per se, but going to bed at night, uh, like really diving deep into the whole intelligence analyst world. Because I'll be honest, when I went through the military, I felt like I felt like I had a general feel for like everything that goes on around me, you know, and then. So many friends that I've made subsequent to my service, I learned about jobs, and I was like, I didn't even know that existed. And the fact that not only did you have a cool job when you were in the military, but it opened the door, and it, you know, built this conduit for you to, to establish this killer company. So... Um it's just another reminder in my life that I, I should have made different decisions in the past. <laughs> you turned out all right. Okay, so, so last episode, um, we got to know you pretty well. We got a feeling for, like, where you came from, um, the pretty cool family that, that you were raised in with, uh, with your brothers and your parents who clearly did a fantastic job with you guys. Um, but we just got to the point where G.O.L. becomes established. And, you know, you shared with us... Um, as far as your reasoning behind the name, about you know an owl being the wise creature, as an intel analyst, you guys are like burning the midnight oil, and you felt like every other defense contractor had some sort of asinine acronym that made no sense, and would generate no brand awareness or brand loyalty. But clearly, Geoal is is not one of those. So uh, let's spend the next couple of minutes just really diving into what Geoal is at a higher level. And then we'll kind of dive deeper into the industry and how the industry has has evolved over the years. So um, share with the listeners, like, what GeoOwl is and what services um, and products do you provide and to who and for what?
1: Right. So uh, uh, GeoOwl is a geospatial technology solutions and services provider for the federal government, mainly the, the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. Um, So geospatial technology, what the heck does that mean, right? Geospatial um, is just all about location. Uh, Some people refer to it as location intelligence. It's just understanding the X and Y axis of where things occur and understanding the relationship between um, location uh, and and other sources of data. Uh, That's what geospatial... Um, technology is, is really all about, just understanding location uh, and deriving meaningful uh, information from that locational data. Um, so GeoL is a company. We, we're kind of split into three different segments. Um, one is our, our technology. Um, so we build geospatial technology, uh, one that we've been working on recently, which is actually getting a lot of headway with the the Pentagon and with um, different government agencies. It's called Pattern Flows. Pattern Flows was designed to fix a lot of the dirty data problems that we're having in the intelligence community. Um, Right now, there's so many different sources of data. Everything's formatted in a different method. And uh, it's very hard to push into this future where we want machines to do more for us Uh, if you don't have that data formatted correctly when it comes in. Uh, And even still this day, the way that information, intelligence information is shared and distributed is very siloed, and it's very slow. Even still to this day in 2021? To this day, absolutely. Um, We're doing a lot of the intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance missions the same way we did in 2005 when I was in Iraq, um, a lot of it's done the very same way. Um, information is still, um, distributed in similar manners. Sometimes it's just like, um, email that goes out. Uh, and a lot of the technology and tools that the military work with, um, they're antiquated. Uh, part of that is, is a systemic problem with the DOD's procurement <laughs> processes. Um, but then another part of that is just, it's, it's just lack of innovation in this area. So we built pattern flows to solve a number of problems and kind of help push the limits of where we go with geospatial technology, how we leverage intelligence um, and how we distribute that intelligence so that's that's our 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 products um, segment of our business
0: now just just for me to understand it for the listeners mm-hmm. so pattern flows is that is that like an application is it like an app
1: yeah so pattern flows is a set of applications. Um, so it consists of a server, a desktop application, and a web application. Um, and it's built on top of an open API infrastructure. What that means is that all the data coming into the system can go out of the system. And since our, uh, our base level framework is, uses a map, that means every single tidbit of information has um, spatial data assigned to it. So um that just allows us to provide better intelligence information uh, across the spectrum so it, it's a um desktop and web application uh with combined with a server, and we'll build a mobile application at some point once uh once it makes sense uh but it's it's definitely um cutting edge right. stuff.
0: So at GOL, you guys, you indicated that you have three avenues of your services. One right. being the technology, which you just touched on.
1: Right. So, our products and technology. So, pattern flows is our, our primary technology. Uh, we have some other stuff in there too, but um, that's the primary one. Uh, the other uh, two segments are our solutions uh, segment, which focuses primarily on uh, producing products, right? So, these are. Uh, cartographic products a lot of them are working with the national geospatial intelligence agency to create the digital cartographic framework for um so you're like helping them map we're helping them map yeah we're doing all sorts of different projects um for various um uh, segments of the earth uh, providing different types of mapping um digital mapping products so those can range and, and vary on what they are, but we're actually doing that out of uh, our two offices, one in, here in Wilmington, North Carolina, and the other in Fuquay, Arena. So um, we have some great partnerships with um, UNCW here locally and with NC State uh, to teach people coming out of university how to uh, leverage those geospatial skills they acquire uh, in the university. Um, and that's primarily what we do in our our um, solutions uh, and production segment of the business. And our third segment, which is actually our our largest segment is services. So these are what we call billable full-time equivalents. These are people inside embedded in US military and government uh, sites all throughout the world. Uh, We have people overseas right now. We have people um, uh, at all sorts of fun government buildings throughout the country. everywhere from North Carolina to California, Texas, Georgia, Florida, um, Virginia, and other locations. And they're, they're working side-by-side side with the military and the intelligence community. They're providing them valuable insight and knowledge uh, as to what's happening on the ground, right? What's, what's the ground truth? Um, so they're providing that intelligence synthesis and providing guidance and consultation to the military on how to properly use their sensors, how to properly use their assets, And how to leverage um, all that money they spent on um, systems and infrastructure uh, to get the best results out of that. So, um, So sorry,
0: are are, are these team members with GOL that are actually deployed and embedded with U.S. assets? Are these guys? Are the or are these people? Are are they like gunfighters?
1: Also, no, no, these are intelligence contractors. So. some of them do carry weapons, I think, on certain locations, but that's not what—that's not by any means what, right. what they're there for. Um, they're there to provide um, subject matter expertise on intelligence matters. Um, and the military relies on contractors, so does the intelligence community, because, um, mil- as you know, in the military, people come and go so rapidly. Uh, so the contractor is always that person that's just been there and knows this stuff cold. And what we offer that's different, what GOL offers is we actually pride ourselves in kind of pushing the boundary beyond just supplying services, right? We're not just providing someone that sits there and tells uh, the military what to do and provides guidance. We try to improve what's happening overall. We look at their mission. We try to find ways that we can help um, innovate, and we push those ideas and things like that into our other segments of our business to help – Our customers mission so we don't we don't see it as um just a business for us it's it's who we are and we're trying to help the military and help the government um do things better um so that's that's what's different about us um you know we're not just supplying what they call butts and seats um we have really smart amazing people in the company and they really care about what they do day to day um so they're really always pushing the boundaries and we have processes in place for collecting ideas and integrating those into whether that's new software products or processes and ideas um, to help our customers do things better.
0: Do all your locations have like a little wooden suggestion box with little
1: little <laughs> We have a digital version of, <laughs> of the suggestion box, yes. Uh of course. That's awesome. And it's available on the phone, so there you go. Right.
0: So earlier you're you were opening a door to um a topic that I feel like is, is central to like what we're what we're talking about with the G O L podcast. You were talking about being siloed and you were talking mm-hmm. about you know certain entities operating independently. And that that you know rings a bell in my mind of how the intelligence community has evolved in post-9-11. So you know with mm-hmm. your experience and your knowledge of the industry and the history of the industry can you kind of paint the picture of what the intelligence community looked like up until 9-11? Because based on my understanding from the outside is it, it couldn't have been more siloed. And I think that's the way it's been described to me um, through conversations, uh, you know, through reports I've read, was that all these different agencies, including the DOD, were we're not cross-functional, I guess the best way to say it. Right. So I'm I'm curious to get your take on what the what the intelligence community looked like up until it hit the fan on nine eleven and we realized that we're we've been not doing it the right way.
1: Right. So um before nine eleven, you know, uh there wasn't a cohesive intelligence community. In fact I don't believe people even used the word intelligence community. It wasn't uh, Tom Clancy I, did. I, oh maybe maybe Tom <laughs> Clancy did. Um but aside from Jack Ryan, I don't think people thought of it as a cohesive community until um George uh, W Bush created the the DNI, right, the Director of National Intelligence Office. And that was really the cohesive glue to to for the um intelligence community which com- is comprised of 17 different agencies including um 17 17 different agencies including agencies within uh the military. So um, things like the Intelligence and Security Command, which is an Army entity, um, the NRO, absolutely did I say NRO, it right? The, the National Reconna- National Reconnaissance <laughs> Office is part of that for sure. Um, uh, different elements in DHS, all, all sorts of. If you go to, I believe it's intelligence.gov, it actually provides a pretty cool um, breakdown of of the different intelligence community entities. Um, you know, so I think there was a big push after 911 to get away from siloed information um, It's definitely apparent that in the current state uh, where where we're at in the intelligence community is there's a big push towards open data towards interoperable systems um, and that's because of uh, that silo problem we talked about so imagine these 17, independent agencies all doing the same thing differently, right? Right. You have, uh, Intel analysts at the CIA that might be doing, looking at the same exact location that some military intelligence analyst is looking at, and there's no way for them to cross-reference what, what they're doing because they're they're interpreting it. They're on different systems. They're on different networks. Um, you know, they have different leadership, different SOPs, different security clearance levels. So different objectives, different objectives. So there's a lot of redundancy in the intelligence community um, and unfortunately I don't think I don't think that's really changed <laughs> since since then I think there's been efforts on a macro level a strategic level which is important um, but on the tactical level I think a lot of our dollars are still being redundantly spent on you know different agencies looking at the same thing and not properly sharing their data um, this is a problem that we've attempt to solve with our, with our software pattern flows, which uh, is built on top of an open API, which enables anyone that needs access to that data can, can plug into it. So it's, you know, it, it helps eliminate that silo um, and creates data that's really clean and, and uh, interoperable with other systems. So no matter who's, who's doing the collection, it can get distributed to who needs to see it.
0: Right. What does API stand for? Forgive me for asking. I just don't know what it stands for.
1: Uh, API stands for Application Programming Interface, and just think of it as, um, you know, a, a, a plug. Right. It's just a, it's a way for you to plug into the data that that application is currently utilizing.
0: So all that I mean, I'm based on what you just said. All the apps in like the app store, those are those APIs, basically.
1: Um, or is that they, that's ha- probably a they question? they use APIs for sure. Um, you know, so, um you know they're it's just it's like an frame. access
0: point kind of sure yeah
1: that makes sense um, are you sure ap
0: does not stand for access point <laughs> not
1: 100% sure <laughs> but i'm pretty sure um i'm pretty sure but yeah that's um apis are really important and, and especially open apis cuz that's what enables different um different pieces of software to connect and talk and, and share data uh, and it helps eliminate that those silos so when we say open that just means that you have the the documentation and the instructions available for anyone to plug into what you're collecting
0: when you initially said what was it uh, public sharing or I can't remember what, what term you used but it being that you're in the t- intelligence community mm-hmm. it was a term that freaked me out because it makes it sound like this is all information that's publicly available and anybody can access it and anybody can, almost like a Wikipedia, and I was like, whoa, that kind of creeps me out, but you're talking about internally within DNI and all the various entities that fall under it?
1: Right, I mean, are you referencing like the different networks they're using, or?
0: Did you say open-sourced?
1: I, I, I can't so. remember
0: what you said, <laughs> but either way, you've, you've closed Certainly. the door to what I was worried.
1: Okay, don't worry. You'll, <laughs> you'll sleep soundly tonight, you'll be fine.
0: Trust me, your website speaks volumes. Talk about sleeping like soundly. I've, have honestly, I learned, I learned about your company years ago, and I've shared with you. I've had some friends mm-hmm. that have worked, been on your team, and you got a sick website. When I go to the website, the dynamic of how it works—I mean, you guys hit it home. There's no question of what GOL does, and right. it's almost like I'm watching this like recruiting video. Or, you know, like a 17-year-old kid just
1: mm-hmm.
0: salivating at the mouth, going to fight bad guys. Oh, and GOL does that, but from a <laughs> You know, an intelligence perspective, so...
1: That's good. That's the point. So, geowl.com, G-E-O-O-W-L.com. Definitely check it out. But, yeah, we have some cool videos and stuff on there. And you you can click through the site and see who we are as a team um, and those interested and have the background in intelligence careers definitely uh, should check that out.
0: Absolutely. Um, So, I got a question for you. This is totally off the subject, kind Mm
1: -hmm. of. Okay, I'm ready.
0: If you had... To choose an anthem song. Okay. And this can be any any, any era, any decade, but oh, if boy. there was an anthem song for Geo Owl, what would it be? If you had to make a decision right now. Here I am. <laughs> Rocking like, like a hurricane. hurricane. Who is that? Josh,
1: who is that? Scorpions. There you go. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Scorpions, of
1: course. That's kind of that's kind of <coughs> how we are. You know, we're we're a little bit different, right?
0: <laughs> of course, of course. Um, that's an important question. My if very we, important. <laughs> it yeah. is. If we had a theme song. If you don't have a
1: theme song, I mean, what are you? you don't,
0: what are you doing? You don't have a purpose. You're... ours. If if I got to choose one for Signal Fire, it would be Welcome to the Jungle, Guns yeah. and Roses. Just yeah. I mean, it just builds through it. And then at the end, it's just like this crescendo mm-hmm. of awesomeness. Okay, good. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. Scorpions, are you going to get... You need to get like a Scorpions flag to like hang up in your office. Done. Just to, like, motivate already ordered. The, motivate the troops. Uh, yep. or Already ordered. All right. So um, I'm curious. Where we're at right now with technology, can you share some of like the the key, like, um, I don't know, two or three most valuable assets to GOL now and how that looks different from what it did 15 years ago. Like, we wouldn't have been able to have this technology that we we live on today 15 years ago. Like So basically, mm-hmm. like, entail, like, how the industry as a whole has kind of progressed and the technology has advanced. Because, you know, on last week's episode, you were sharing about how you're in Iraq, and, you know, given the time that you got into the intelligence community, they were still using backlit tables to illuminate imagery. Right. Um, clearly, they're not mm-hmm. doing that anymore. So I'm just curious as to, like, some of the key technological functions that are at the foundation of GOL, um that really exemplify how the industry has evolved in the last 10, 15 years.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, that gets into data. Um, there are so many different sources of intelligence now. Uh, back then, 2004, 2005... Um, you know the, the rise of commercial satellites wasn't really a thing. Now commercial satellites are all over the place. There's all sorts of companies um, launching commercial satellites, and all those satellites have sensors on them which um, collect data and sell that data back to <laughs> stakeholders um, that can use it. So I, I would say just the explosion of information and the explosion of data um, has really um, been uh paramount to where we're at today in the, in the intelligence community with with our technology um for us as a, as a company that produces and builds technology uh you know things like bandwidth are important right um now is bandwidth
0: um is bandwidth something that is part of your infrastructure or is something that can like float through the air if that <laughs> made that makes sense Feel uh, free to say it if it's a stupid yeah, question. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, it can bandwidth can float through the air, right? You have a cell phone right there, which presumably is talking to a cell tower, and it has a bandwidth, um, a data bandwidth. So, of course, it can float through the air. Um, but what I mean by bandwidth is just um, being able to get information so quickly, right? The time it takes now to get information is reduced to nothing. Um, uh, not completely nothing, as people on the other side of the world tell you, We work in what's called near real time. So we can be um, analyzing an ISR sensor from across the world, but we're sitting in a building here in the United States. Um, So it's sort of like live TV from across the planet. Um, That didn't used to be the case. That was very difficult uh, back in 2004, 2005. Um, But it's been an investment by our government to, to make that happen. And we spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on, um, satellites and, um, uh, connections throughout the, throughout the life cycle of, of, uh, of our intelligence data. Uh, and then for some reason or another, we, we, we seem to stop that investment. Once we receive the data, we then say, okay, we have the data. We're the good data. now. We're good. We'll, we'll, get it figured out. Um, but that's where actually the most investment is occurring right now. So that's why you're seeing such heavy investment into things like artificial intelligence and machine learning um, because that's that's a problem, right? Now we have all this data, and now we need to figure out what to do with it. Right. Um, so there's all sorts of various programs that um, are crucial to where the DOD is at right now and where the intelligence community is at right now. So
0: a conversation that I feel like I have fairly frequently with some of my veteran buddies that served after I did, because I permanently separated in, in 2008. And I have, you know, close friends that are still in or just recently transitioned out of the military. And their experiences in theater blow my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not on the combat side, because combat is combat, you know. But when, you know, I compare my experiences in Afghanistan in 2001 and Iraq in 2003. And it was, I felt very rudimentary as far as our technology. And, you know, I was kind of on like, you know, I was high, high speed, low drag in the reconnaissance mm-hmm. community. But even, I mean, looking back even now, it's just like, what were we doing? You know? And I hear stories about, you know, my buddies deploying and they're like, oh, well, I was in the, I was in the camp post and we were watching the whole operation on ISAR. And it's like, right. I mean, a couple of years ago, I'd ask, what, what even is that? And it it's fascinating to see how the technology with regards to, you know, mm-hmm. um, operations overseas, how how, how it's evolved. Um, my One of the biggest questions I have is we have all these different types of assets. You have satellites, you have unmanned vehicles, you have manned aircraft. I mean, don't they kind of do the same thing?
1: To no. an, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I know
0: satellites right now aren't dropping bombs and yeah, putting rounds right. on target, but... Um, like, how do those three, those three assets, how do they differentiate as far as the actual right. intelligence yeah. and data they can provide?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So they're, they all provide a, uh, a different flavor, if you will, of intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. So uh, a satellite um, is great for, obviously, it's low detection, right? So people don't know you're collecting because they can't see the um, satellite. Uh, but obviously the resolution that high up is going to be a lot, a lot less, right? So anything you collect is going to be lower resolution, um, including SIGINT data. Um, so it does have, it does have limited cases. Um, we are starting to see more satellite video, which is a really interesting area, um, but it's that's still a new uh, a new thing is that the
0: yeah. fmv the full motion video
1: yeah well full, full motion video can be any video that's moving right it's full motion um you know you can collect full motion video from a manned or unmanned asset uh, right. but um you know the the satellites um provide a strategic um opportunity to collect information whereas manned and unmanned sensors, which are typically launched and recovered closer to where you're collecting, um, they're going to give you much higher resolution. So uh, an unmanned asset, obviously you're not putting a human life at risk. So that's vitally important, you know, that we don't put our pilots and sensor operators at risk. Um, And because they can sometimes have very long flight times, they can loiter and collect for a long time, you know, 18, 20 hours uh, of collection depending on their payload and sensor packages and things like that uh, on the unmanned side. Now, on the manned side, typically they can't loiter as long, right? Because the manned aircraft, they have crews, they have big, heavy equipment um, on there, um, but they, have, they can carry much bigger payloads, so they can have a lot of different sensors. So you can right. have one manned aircraft with 10 different types of sensors on it, um, including video or still frame, LIDAR, hyperspectral, I mean, you name it. Um, Just depends on what, what the mission requires. So they all have a unique, a unique role um, in the, in the battle space. Uh, And at GWA, we help the military optimize that collection. We, we help them understand what's best for, for the certain situation that they're working on. Um, You know, being able to optimize intelligence collection assets uh, saves us time and saves us money, um, and, and, and time is vitally important in the intelligence life cycle. Uh, so they rely on us to provide um, those vital services of helping them understand how to get the best answer, what assets to use, what sensors to use, um, where they should be, where they should uh, be collecting at, and where they should be uh, flying. So uh I would say each it's a great question because you know ISR is a very ambiguous term. Um it can mean anything intelligence surveillance or constant. that's those are three massive fields. Right. Yeah. But uh I think in the military space specifically um the satellites, the manned assets, the unmanned assets, now we're actually seeing balloons as well. It's a bit, it's a big thing, balloons that fly in the streets. How are balloons being used yeah. in 2021? Yeah, so so there's a few companies right now that are um, piloting balloons in the stratosphere. Um, I don't know how they do it, but... Um, so we're talking like 120,000 feet plus way in the up, air? Way up there in the stratosphere. Whatever the level of stratosphere is, right. I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. I know, I know it's above where a commercial aircraft flies. Um, so maybe 75,000 feet or so. Um, balloons are... Provide a different... Capability, um, I would say, that are not as proven as unmanned and manned um, aircraft, um, but they provide a you know, kind of the resolution of, of a lower altitude sensor with the um, capability of, of uh, the satellite to be undetected. So um, you kind of get the, the high resolution um, collection without the um, worries about being detected by an adversary. So it's very interesting, uh, and and of course they have they all have multiple uses not just in the DoD space. I mean you can take any of these. A lot of this same equipment is being used to track wildfires out west, or um, to track uh, the migration of species across Africa, or uh, y- you name it. Um, you know climate change effects on the coast. You know all all these same types of sensors and, and information can be used for a myriad of things, and. At Geo, we're really the experts on what those what those various elements are. So we can apply what we know from our years of experience in the military to almost any commercial application. Right. Um, so it's actually a really unique and interesting field to be in.
0: I love it. It blows my mind that like something so fundamental and archaic technology like a balloon. I mean, balloons were like. Right. They they were the Well, it's not
1: a balloon in the traditional sense. They look really funky. You know, they're like these big old massive things. They have huge they're very tall and made of crazy material, but Yeah, I can. Kind of, um, but the fact yeah. that they're
0: playing a role in like revolutionary technology today. Right. I mean, that's crazy cuz that light at the infancy of mm-hmm. flight and you know, what 150 years ago when they started putting gasses in the balloons and oh, mm-hmm. you know, um it's kind of cool how it just all comes back. Yeah, I love it, it.
1: Balloons are interesting. Uh, they provide interesting capability. Um, but like I said, kind of unproven at this stage. Uh, right. But, but they'll get there.
0: Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, we are we are out of time. Um, for people that are listening to this episode, what is what is the way that they can find out more about GeoOwl, about the company?
1: Yeah. Um, so definitely go to our website at geowl.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we do have Twitter and stuff. We don't really use Twitter. Um, but, you know, those those social media platforms are good. We usually share information on there. Um, That's our website. It's really the best. Um, so geowl.com.
0: Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for the second episode of the Geo Owl podcast. We will see you next time. Visit geowl.com. And learn how Geo implements next generation intelligence advancement technologies to aid the Department of Defense with precision and expertise analysis. Geo
1: <laughs> The new era of intelligence.